following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I feel like sometimes I need to get up and kind of qualify the kind of church we are. So if you're watching online, we're not a violent church. We're not aggressive. We're not about picking up guns and burning buildings down. We're just not that church. But I really appreciate the honesty and, you know, the openness of people sharing those things. And yeah, motherhood can be certainly like that. Well, I hope that this morning's promise, which is an interesting one, will encourage all of us and in light of what's, you know, some of the things that were said by these mums, and certainly in light of what Jacob was sharing around communion, I, I pray that it will really encourage all of us um, in our relationship with Jesus this morning. Well, this promise, as we continue our series, Promises Jesus Made, was made famous by a painting uh, done by a guy called William Holman Hunt. I don't know if you recognize this painting. It's called The Light of the World. Um, and it encapsulates the promise that we're looking at this morning, which is found in Revelations 3.20. This picture depicts Jesus' promise that if we hear his voice, if we open the door, that he will come in and eat with us. Now again, as we found in this series, uh, often these promises we've been looking at are misunderstood or misapplied in, in, in the wrong context. Um, and if you're anything like me, you've probably heard this promise, this scripture preached, talked about in what context? Altar calls, right? Gospel messages. And there's truth to that. But when you actually read the context that Jesus gives it in, it it's, couldn't be further from the truth. That's really not who Jesus has in mind. And so as we've been doing with our series, we want to go back to look at these promises, look at the context that Jesus is making them in so that we can really be encouraged. Because when you actually read it in the context, it means something different. And it is encouraging and it is powerful and it's liberating and all of those things. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. And we find ourselves in the, in the bigger section here of chapter 2 and ch chapter 3 where there are these letters that are being sent out to these different churches where Jesus is kind of turning up and declaring certain things over these churches. And for the most part, it's bad news. It's warnings. It's, it's, it's really scary stuff. Um, and so it's into that context that Jesus makes his promise. And so we're going to pick up the, the last letter to the church of Laodicea, which is found in verses 14 and goes to the end. And this is where Jesus makes this promise. And it says this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. So there's the letter language. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. That's got to be one of the most terrifying statements in the scriptures, right? When Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Terrifying. Terrifying. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel that you buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And here it is, verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this promise is not made into a gospel context. It's not an altar call promise. We can apply it, I think, to that context. But really, Jesus' heart here is to address the church and to address a particular church and a particular church that was in big trouble. And that's what we need to grab a hold of. So a couple of things I want to say about this church and move really quickly this morning. There's, There's a lot of technical, historical information, a good Bible commentary or a Bible um, encyclopedia or dictionary will give you this information. So if you miss something, that's okay. We'll, we'll come back to it. The first thing we, we can say about this church is that they were lukewarm. Jesus points this out. You know, this church really seemed to have a wrong perception of themselves. And Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now again, lots of people have misunderstood what lukewarm means. And we need to get this correct. Normally, people have understood this as being an indication of this church's spiritual temperature. In other words, you know, if you're hot, you're full on for Jesus. And if you're cold, then you're the opposite. You're not full on for Jesus. You're hostile. You're opposed to Jesus. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Why do I think that? Well, why would Jesus want people cold? Jesus says, yeah, I would rather you one or the other, hot or cold. Jesus would not want people hostile to him. Jesus will want those people to come to him. So I don't think that's what it's getting at. A better way to understand, I think the correct way to understand what Jesus is saying is that they had become ineffective in their Christian work or Christian witness. Why do I think that? Well, the background for this idea of lukewarm draws its imagery from Laodicea's water supply. And that's what we miss. I see Laodicea had to import or to um, tunnel in their water from two different sources. One was the hot springs of Heropolis. And those springs were used for healing and for um, health purposes and and all kinds of different medicinal things. And that water was hot and it really helped bring healing to people. And then the other source was Colossae. And the water was piped in from Colossae. And the water from Colossae was cool and and refreshing, like fresh mountain water that was life-giving. But when, when the water was piped in from both of these sources and ended up in Laodicea, it was just tepid. It was lukewarm and most, it, it caused nausea when people drank it. That's the background of this. So what Jesus is saying here, and, and again, another thing that gives us this support is in verse 14 when Jesus introduces himself. He says, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. And you'll notice in every letter when Jesus identifies himself in a certain way, it relates to the message he wants to give to that church. 
So when you put all of this together, Jesus is saying to this judge, you guys, are, you're useless. You're, you're useless. You're not doing anything. You're not making a difference in the, in the world. And that's why he can say, I wish you were a hot spring that was, was healing and, and blessing your community. Or I wish you were a cold, refreshing water that people who are thirsty will encounter that life-giving water in you. But you're neither. You're useless. You're warm. You're tepid. You're only good to be spewed out of your mouth. They'd become ineffective in their Christian witness. But what had caused that? Well, the next thing we're told about this church is that they were complacent. Verse 17, Jesus says to them, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. Basically, they were like, we're we're in a good place. We're we're in a good place. And that's why they're just kicking back, relaxing, enjoying life. And very different to the church in Smyrna because there, again, these two ideas of riches and poverty are being used. And notice what it says here about the church of Smyrna. They were the opposite. Jesus says to them, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Verse 10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life. What's going on here? Well, it seems like this church in Laodicea had kind of compromised with their business transactions. Laodicea was a really affluent and rich city, well known for their banking and commerce industries. And it seems like these Christians in their business dealings had maybe participated in idolatry, maybe had participated in, in, in just compromising their Christian unique witness and, and had lost their identity and had become like the world. And that's why they were comfortable and cushy because they were not being persecuted like the church in Smyrna. They were enjoying the good life. And so they're sitting back and going, man, we've got it pretty good. A little bit like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. See, and it's understandable that they would be thinking that their wealth was a sign of God's blessing. Because the whole of the Old Testament kind of says that, right? And then the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, pretty smug, pretty self-righteous, self-sufficient. He's like, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus nails him on the one thing that was his problem, his self-reliance, his self-sufficiency, his complacency. Jesus says, sell your wealth and follow me. And he walks away sad. And we're told that the disciples were really confused because in their mind, to be rich was, to see, was seen as a sign of God's blessing. And so then they respond and go, well, who can be saved? If this, if this rich guy can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus says what's impossible with man is is possible with God. You see, this church, through their compromise, through their business dealings, had come to enjoy a very comfortable life. And they were kicking back and going, we've got a good, God's blessing us, God's pleased with us, look at our wealth. And they're saying, you know, you say, I am rich. And notice, they say, I have acquired wealth. They've become self-sufficient. They've become complacent and go, look at all the things we've done. Look at all the things that we've achieved. Look at how we've acquired our wealth. And they're saying, they don't even need a thing. They're very, very comfortable. It reminds me a little bit of the other rich guy in Luke chapter 12. And you know that story where, you know, he had this bumper crop, the blessing of God. And what does he say? You know what? I'm going to kick back. 
I'm going to sit back. I'm going to relax. I've got it made. I'm going to tear down my small barns, build bigger barns, and store up all my riches because I've got it made. And Jesus says, you're a fool. Kind of what Jesus is saying to this church. You, you, you're a fool. Because you think that your material acquisition, your material wealth, your abundance is a side of God's blessing, that you're spiritually rich, but you're not. You're spiritually poor. You're bankrupt. You don't really have anything that is a sign of God's favor and blessing. So this church, they were lukewarm. They were ineffective in their Christian work. They, they were complacent. They were really self-reliant, self-sufficient, had no real place for God in their life. And into that context, Jesus speaks three invitations, really, three invitations. The first one, he says, in verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Jesus is inviting this church to see in his rebuke in his harsh words, in his correction, in his discipline, his love. His love. It reminds me of what the writer in Hebrews says in chapter 12, where he talks about you know, us remembering this word of encouragement that God disciplines us out of his love. It's not because he wants to hurt us. It's because he genuinely cares about it. He wants what's best for us. And you know, while it might seem painful and difficult and hard and harsh at the time when we receive God's correction, it is to produce the, the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. Now, it's a, it's a great thing to talk about this on Mother's Day because discipline is an important part of parenting. And, you know, we used to try and tell our kids when they were little, you know, I'm going to spank you because I really love you. I, they, don't, they didn't get it. Trust me. They didn't understand that and see it that way at all. And we're like, we're like that sometimes when God says, you know, this hardship I brought into your life, this trial, is because I love you. We go, yeah, right, whatever. We, we run the other way. We, 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 we don't let the trial, the hardship, the rebuke bring reform in our heart. Instead, we more than likely become more defiant. How do I know that? Well, I see that in Israel's history time and time and time again. When God rebukes them for their idolatry, instead of repenting and coming to Him, they go into idolatry even more. Because they're like, well, God, we can't trust you. We can't rely on you. You haven't come through for us. And God's saying, it's because you've drifted from me. I've been reading through Hosea. And it's time and time again, God says that. You've forsaken me. And I call to you, but you refuse to come to me. Instead, you go into idolatry more. You rely on Assyria. You rely on Egypt more and more and more. Instead of coming to me, your maker. And that's why Jesus has to remind this church. And that's why Jesus has to remind us that when he rebukes us, disciplines us, corrects us, it's because of his love for us. It's his love. The second invitation that flows out of it in a very strong connection is to repent. Look at verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So, so because you actually see my love in my discipline, because you recognize that my heart for you is good, because you recognize that what I want for you is the peaceable fruit of righteousness, because you recognize that my heart for you is to do good for you so that you can know spiritual riches. So when you know that, when you see that, when you get that revelation, be earnest and repent and repent. And time and time again in the Bible, repentance is not just turning away from something, but turning to something. 
It's turning to something. And Jesus invites this church that were complacent and living their own lives and, and self-sufficient and self-reliant and, and compromising with the world and have become so much like the world that people don't even recognize they're Christians. They've, they've so diluted their witness that it's ineffective and powerless to come back to him. And that's why in verse 18, he says, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become really rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shame and nakedness. Salve to put on your eyes so you can see. These things aren't just things that Jesus thought of on the, in the moment. These are things that Laodicea are particularly valued. All of these things are, were really, really important in Laodicea. See, like I said before, Laodicea was known for their banking institutions, their commerce, their trade. And, and these people are saying, we've become rich. But Jesus is saying, but your riches are empty. Your stuff, your material stuff is empty. Come and buy from me gold refined in the fire, purified gold, refined gold, gold that glistens with the glory of God, not the counterfeit and the fake. And the clothes, again, Laodicea was well known for their textile industry and they, they had this famous black wool that they imported to many parts of the world. And that's why they were, they were relying on themselves. Going, well, we've got that stuff. And Jesus says, no, 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 you've got the fake I want to give you the real stuff that truly covers your shame and your nakedness. And then he goes on to talk about their eyes. And again, Laodicea was famous for their medical schools and, and uh, their ophthalmology. They were famous for eye care. And they had this ointment this, or this dust that was renowned worldwide for healing properties, for restoring sight. And that's what Jesus says, come and buy it from me. You're relying on the stuff that you have, that the world can offer you, that your culture offers you, but it's not achieving what you think it's achieving. You're really poor. You're really naked. You're really blind. Can't you see? This is what I see. And he's saying, but you can have the real, the genuine, but it's only in me. Again, reminds me, takes me back to Isaiah 55 when God says something very similar to Israel. He says, come and buy from me. The genuine, the real, you know, picks up on what Anod shared about from John chapter 4 last week. Buy from me food that will really satisfy. Buy from me water that will satisfy your thirst. Come to me. And again, that is given in the context of repentance, of calling them back. God calling Israel back to himself. Come to me. And, and this is Jesus' cry to this church. You've drifted a long way. You've lost your identity. You've lost your focus. You've lost your witness. You've just become comfortable living in the world. You've embraced so much of your culture. You've compromised. And, and now you think you're rich, but you're so, so poor. And it is a warning because Jesus says, if you continue down this path, you're going to drift so far from me that you're going to be lukewarm and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But I love it because Jesus says, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. It hasn't happened yet. It's still to come. That judgment is still to come. It's awaiting the day when Jesus comes back. And into that context, Jesus makes this promise. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This promise is a promise to intimacy. It picks up, again, an imagery from Song of Solomon, which we know is the X-rated book of the Bible, right? In chapter five and verse two, 
the, the husband says this to his wife, I slept, this is the wife speaking, I slept, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. Just let those words sink in. This is Jesus, as it were, in Revelation 3.20, speaking that over this church, speaking that over us. Open to me, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Open to me. Open to me. It's a call to intimacy. You know, this idea here of Jesus saying, I will eat with them, that, that's like the main meal of the day. Often people only had one good meal for the day. And it was the meal that you invited your closest, most intimate friends with because you didn't have enough to share with everyone. This is the rich image of Jesus calling out to us. This is what Jesus offers us. You know, the interesting thing about the light of the world painting, and many people have commented on this, there's no handle on the outside of that door. Jesus stands and he knocks. But the promise that Jesus gives here is conditional. It's conditional on us being able to hear his voice. There's an if there and opens the door. It's only then that Jesus will come in. He won't kick down that door. He's not going to force his way into your life. He's not going to demand or pressure or manipulate you. No, he stands at the door and knocks. And he invites us to this relationship of intimacy, of friendship. You know, and that's what staggers me. When you read that promise in, the con- in its context, there is no condemnation from Jesus. There is no judgment from Jesus. There is warning, absolutely, and it is a serious warning. But instead, what we find is an invitation to intimacy. How profound. What an encouragement to us. No matter how far we feel that we've drifted from God, no matter how useless we might feel in this season of our life, no matter what we think we've done or not done, that we should have done or could have done, or we would have done if our circumstances were different, no matter where we stand, Jesus' invitation is not to guilt and shame and condemnation and fear and dread. Instead, it's an open invitation to intimacy and relationship. And I invite you, I urge you, receive him. Receive him today. Hear his voice. Allow him to speak his words of affection and love over you this morning. Allow him to encourage your heart that he doesn't condemn you. Like we heard from all these amazing moms, he knows what you're going through. He knows the season you're in. He knows what you're wrestling with and what you're carrying. He knows how hard it is being a mom of a young family or an older mom or not even being a mom as you long to be a mom. He knows all that you're going through in in your feelings of regret of the things that you could have done and should have done and you wish you could have said and done differently. And He knows all of that and there is no condemnation but an invitation. Come. Will you listen? Will you hear my voice? Will you open the door? And see, the the profound thing is that this has been God's plan all along. And as Jacob reminded us, intimacy, relationship is what God has longed for. You go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, and it's the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. He's walking. He's walking. And he's calling out to Adam and Eve, saying, where are you? Where are you? And Jesus, 
after his resurrection, he turns up. He doesn't, he's not invited. He rocks up to dinner parties because he wants intimacy. He's on the beach cooking fish for his friends because he wants intimacy. He wants relationship. And that's what sin has done. It's broken that. It's severed that. And then Jesus goes to the cross to take our penalty, to take our separation. He's, as it were, kicked out of fellowship with the Father so we can have intimacy with the Father. He's rejected so we never have to. And so this invitation is here for us this morning. Whether you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and your Savior, you can do that this morning. And I encourage you, if you're watching online or you're here or you're outside and you've never come to God and asked for his forgiveness, for your rebellion, for being self-sufficient, self-reliant, for being complacent, thinking that you know, you're, you're, you're all good because your life is great and you're, you're successful and you've achieved all these things in your life. But you, you're poor and you're naked and you're lost and you're far from God. The invitation is extended to you. As a believer, maybe you've lost your way. Maybe you've compromised. Maybe you've bought into the values and the culture all around us and you've become a lot more like them so that they don't even know that you're a Christian. They don't even, your life doesn't even look like a follower of Jesus. And you've become ineffective and powerless. You've become lukewarm. And Jesus is here calling you to the one place that will change that, intimacy with him. Spending time having a meal with Jesus, allowing him to touch you with his love, set you on fire again so that you will live a life that honors him, glorifies him, and points everyone to him. What I want you to do, I'm going to play you a song. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and listen to the words or take the moment just to do exactly what we've been talking about, to hear Jesus calling to you wherever you're at, speaking to you, inviting you to hear his voice and open the door and have fellowship with him. And if you're a busy mom or a busy person and it's been a while since you've had even just a moment to just be still, I pray that you will find this moment refreshing and encouraging in the presence of Jesus. Father, I pray that you'll pour out your spirit. Holy Spirit, will you come? And in this moment of stillness and and worship and reflection, Will you open our hearts to receive Jesus afresh again today? I pray this in his name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.